Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 142 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen while there might be several ways to define servant leadership it's actually pretty simple and the fact that your main mission is to serve and this is never more true than for Kareen Million, as serving has been her purpose her entire life. Her experiences know no boundaries, as she's an Air Force veteran, a former coach, she worked as a graduate assistant for Pat Summit and the Tennessee women's basketball team, she was an adjunct professor at Queens University, and even spent almost five years as an event supervisor for ESPN before teaming up with Maria Taylor to co-found the nonprofit organization, the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, whose mission is to educate, foster professional mentoring relationships, provide networking opportunities and enrichment scholarships to ethnic minorities and women who are seeking careers in the sports industry, where you'll find her now serving as its executive director. Our conversation with Corrine Millian. Corrine, thank you. No, I'm more than excited. Thank you for just being you. Oh, well, that's way too kind for you to say that. It's the other way around that you're allowing me to hear some of your story and just how yeah. sports has been, you know, interwoven into your life, yeah. so to speak. And I appreciate you having Drake here yes, with you us, know, right? He tends to just show up. I and love be it. Around. This is a milestone. It is. First time that Rich Take on Sports has had a dog in the conversation. So Boom. thank you, Drake. <laughs> You'll be asleep here in like 26 seconds. Oh yeah, I can already see it right now, right? <laughs> yes. So let's talk about the life of Corinne. Yeah. And just where you have been to where you are now. Yeah. And one of the things that I have always wanted to ask you since we first met. Yes. Your name. Yes. How often... Do people pronounce it wrong? Terribly, and you did too. But that's I did. Okay. <laughs> I did, didn't I? No, it's yes, okay. It's, it's Kareem. Yes. Yes, but it's I okay. said Kareem. Yeah, it's okay. But I'm like the worst at correcting people. And that's on me too. Like when I was younger, I actually wanted to change my name to Michelle. Really? So badly. Just from the perspective of... You just wanted to make it easier. I was already... My parents were immigrants, so I already, like, stood out. I was just like, I just want to assimilate and be normal. Can I just have a normal name, please? So, I mean, it is still my club name. So when I go to the club and someone asks me, I'm never going to call them. I say, oh, it's Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, but it's okay. I'm going to give my child a very simple name, like Olivia or something. 
because yeah. just make it nice and easy. Yes. Well, that's the way my wife and I we did with our three kids. Because yes. my full name <laughs> oh, is I can't wait for this. Robert Richmond Richardson the Third. That's my birth name. Now I never knew my biological father, so my stepfather adopted me when I was about six years old. Yeah. So I dropped Richardson the Third to you need all that. Weaver. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> But I go by Richmond, my middle name. Yes. But my nickname is Richie. Oh my gosh. So I've got Robert, Richie, yeah, Richmond. Yeah. I'm all oh over the place. With names. That is I don't know if I've ever heard anything like that. I like no. that. You trump my name. Story. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm embarrassed that I pronounced <laughs> no, your don't name be. wrong. And I just looked at you dead in your face like, yes, that is my name. Exactly. So I know. It could be worse. Oh, it definitely could be worse. Yes. yes. So your parents are from Haiti. Yes. Or Haiti. Let me get yes. that correct. Speak, I can't nah, even, yes, I can't even talk right up. now. I'm just going to take a... We'll take a... <laughs> yes. So your parents are from Haiti. They immigrate over here to the U.S. Yes. So what was that like for you growing up and them having to, you know, assimilate right. in the United States and yeah. the culture? Yes. And, it's funny. I tell the story. My, I actually made my mom cry when I was younger because she thought I was mute. I never really said anything, and she took me to specialists and all these things, and finally someone was just like, your child is confused. She goes to school, they speak English. She comes home, no one speaks English, so she just doesn't say anything. And it was something that really kind of sparked. Um, my mom dove into watching soap operas. That's how she learned how to speak English. Um, I became like just like many first generation, you become the translator. So you're six years old. You, you can barely see over the bank teller's uh, desk and you're like trying to translate for your mom who's making a deposit. So I grew up really fast. I grew up in a sense of like being able to communicate with um, older people like right away. And I think that had a lot to do with who I am now. And my mom also just did not trust babysitters in this country. She like the stories and things happen at people's houses. So in the summer, she would drop me off at the airport in Miami or in Orlando, and I would be picked up in the airport in Haiti. Two months later, reverse, and I'd be back in the States. So my summer camp, any type of long vacation, I was on a plane to Haiti. And um, it was incredible. It really opened my eyes to just like different cultures, early on and it made me be more open to hearing from people and, and experiencing other things. Do you feel you missed out on a certain aspect of childhood? Yes, definitely. Like, I mean, even when I was in the States and my mom would go to work, I went to work with my mom. So I, she worked at Winn-Dixie. I was sitting at the front little bench when you walked in at Winn-Dixie. She worked at a doctor's office. I was at the doctor's office. Like, so when my friends were having sleepovers and doing all these things, I'm like having this adult conversation with this doctor for the next eight hours because my mom is at work and I'm here at work with my mom. And it went into like my middle school days. So, <laughs> so I never like, yeah. It was had to shape you definitely tremendously. Yeah. And, you know, I think that when I was younger, I definitely thought, like, dang, this sucks. Like, I don't really get a chance to, like, have friends and do cool things. And I think now, especially, like, with the work that I'm doing, it prepared me to be uncomfortable in a room and still command a room or still be able to convey a message. Um, it allowed me to learn how to talk to people who didn't look like me or didn't have, like, again, I'm 
10 and here I'm sitting in the doctor's lounge at an emergency room talking to some orthopedic surgeon who's 40 years my senior and we're having like a full-blown conversation <laughs> so it's just really prepared me into any venture that I went into with the confidence that at least I can hold my own in a conversation if there's anything that I can do I can hold a conversation yeah when you mentioned yeah being uncomfortable <laughs> when are you ever uncomfortable you oh, seem right to have now. the confidence <laughs> of yeah a hundred people no I am uncomfortable a lot and I think that is what motivates me if I am comfortable then I'm doing something wrong if I think oh this is cool I'm, I, I like how this feels then I'm not challenging myself I'm not pushing myself to be better I'm not growing and I feel like because I'm uncomfortable I'm always growing and I look forward to the next time I'm gonna be uncomfortable yeah would you consider yourself a risk taker thousand percent. I would not be a Bemidji State alum if I wasn't a risk taker. I wouldn't be a veteran if I wasn't a risk taker. I would never have been at Tennessee if I wasn't a risk taker. Almost everything in my life has been outside of what I was expected to do or what people thought I should do. Um, and I love it. I love myself and my journey because of that. Were there certain expectations for oh, you yes. growing up that you were going to have to be oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, most first-generation uh, kids, your parents expect you to be a doctor, lawyer, teacher, nurse. Like, very professional, very highly regarded positions in American society. And if you weren't working towards those things, they couldn't even relate. So my mom and me working in sports was, like, totally overhead. She's like, nowhere in the Bible did it say Jesus played. <laughs> he wept, he fed children, he washed feet, but he didn't play not one sport. So for me to come to my mom and say, hey, I think I want to be a coach, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, it was just not, no one in my, literally no one in my family still to this day probably understands what I do. They know I work in sports. Yeah, they don't have a true concept. And I mean, I've kind of jumped here and there within the industry and I don't think anyone has ever really understood what I, I think they just know like I'm at games <laughs> well you're definitely not just that no right right right, right. <laughs> like they have no clue I think I don't know I don't know what they would think my mom when I used to work at ESPN she would come to my games but it was never to as a fan of like whatever game it was like she was watching a ch her child in a ballet recital and like so she's watching me walk around the the court or do whatever I'm doing and I'm like that's not that's not what this is you're here to watch this game you have VIP access go get some shrimp cocktail and like she's watching me the whole time watching me during timeouts because that's she's not here for anything else she's here to support me yeah, so that's... it's been great she, all she knows about sports is Lady Vols Brittany Griner well if you know Lady Vols then yeah. that's quite a bit yes, right yes, I mean, that's, yes. that's really all you need to know I, I'm also curious just from aspect you say you're a risk taker yeah but are also you a little bit of a rebel oh yes you have to be anytime you're trying to shake up a culture or change the landscape you have to be a rebel you're gonna be faced with people wanting to keep things the same you're gonna be that person that's like hey let's try this a different way or let's do it this way and so I don't feel like I'm a rebel in a sense of like causing a ruckus and doing something so outlandish, but definitely outside of the norm or outside of the status quo. And I think that's totally fine. I know there's this crazy um, saying, rarely do quiet women, women make noise or something to that effect. 
and it's a well rarely do well-behaved women make history and um i'm okay with that yeah you've got to have a certain aspect of yeah. bucking the trends or yes. the normal and uh, i mean right? if you think about all the people who've changed history in some sense that's they were they were doing something people didn't want them to do or expect yeah. them to do or didn't weren't doing before so that's okay i'm i'll, I'll embrace it how much did your mom embrace you enrolling <laughs> or enlisting yeah, in the oh, Air Force? Not at all. Like, and I was 17, so I had to have special permission. And my recruiter basically said all the right things, right? When oh, you say that, what, what were the right things? Oh, that you're going to be a pharmacy tech. You won't see any danger. They're going to pay for your school. It's going to be great. Like, you know, all the right things to say for a mom to, to sign their daughter's life over at 17. <laughs> First generation American. Like, so there was exactly. never even someone that could say, oh, yeah, I did. But the one thing my dad, um, he always wanted to serve and he had bad eyesight. So when I went to him, he was like, yes, what do we need to do? How do we need to make this happen? And um, I think now looking back at it, my mom was so grateful because I got to spend time in Germany. I went to the Air Force Academy. I've had my undergrad and my master's paid for because of my service. So um, it's done a lot more for me than um, she understands, that she understood at the time that it would do. She thinks, oh my gosh, I'm going to war. This is 2004, so this is after 9-11. This is like, we are still, well, we're still at war, but, That's right. you know, like, this was still hot and a lot of people were jumping in because they felt like they were protecting their country. And for me, I was just like, I took the test to get out of class and I did well <laughs> enough that the recruiter called me and now here I am. And three basic trainings later, um, this is the person you see in front of you now. What was that basic training like? Uh, very interesting and different at every stage. So the enlisted is at Lackland. So in September in San Antonio, Texas is brutal, like terrible. And I was the, I somehow, I always find a way in any tough situation to make it just a little bit better for myself. So the first day in basic, uh, you're like, is you get, get in at night and they ask who knows how to play an instrument. So people who, un, who know how to play instruments raise their hand. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to play. I'm going to raise my hand and say I play instruments. So all of us, we get put in the band squad. So we are the band squad for our whole basic training. So we get to go off base and play in a parade. We get to go practice when everybody else is doing a lot more push-ups. <laughs> so it was like, if I could take just this one little break and like, and I play the snare, so I didn't even have to do a whole lot. Like it's heavy, but it was pretty cool. But then the second one was for the Air Force Academy prep school. And that was just like, they're preparing you to be a, an officer. So that leadership training is a little different. And then the freshman year at the academy is just like, whatever stories you've heard, is that is it. That's it. It is. And, um, and by that time, it was my third one. I've already been enlisted. I've already done some of it, you know. And now I'm having, like, some kid who's just graduated from high school three years ago, whatever, yelling at me, telling me, well, wow, if you can't do this, you're not going to be able to do this in the field. And I'm like, I've already been in the field. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it definitely um, shaped me and allowed me to push through adversity. Yeah, I was going to say, was there any times where you felt like you wanted to quit? Oh, every time when you're carrying somebody that's, like, the same weight as you across your shoulders or when you're having to eat in seven minutes and you're like, dang, I really like those mashed potatoes. <laughs> or when you have to open a 
jar of peanut butter of your forehead. Like all these little things, you're like, I'm never, I can't do this one more time. Like, okay, now <laughs> open a jar of peanut butter over your forehead. I've got to hear this. Yeah. So as a as a duly as a freshman, when there's a new j- jar of peanut butter that needs to be opened, they don't just open it, twist off the top, and peel the little thing back. You literally have to crush it over your head so it, the lit so the seal pops open. <laughs> And I'm like, this is really what we're doing. And I don't know if this is like trade secrets, but like this is literally as a freshman sitting at the town hall, like that's your responsibility. And I, Is and that like, a rite of passage I or guess something? so. And then it gets to the point where you just want to do it. Now you're like, I want to be the guy. I want to be the girl that's opening the jar of peanut butter. So I don't know if that's a mental thing. They train you to like go all in for your brothers and sisters but yes. You're not still doing that, are you? No. I don't even <laughs> eat peanut butter now. I'm just like, I'm forever scarred from eating peanut butter because I feel like the only way I can open it is if I'm crushing it over my forehead. How many women were with you? Um, well, thankfully, again, I always find a little thing that helps me. So I was um, at the prep school, I played on the women's basketball team. So we had our group of friends. And then when I got to the academy, I was a manager. So I got to all of our meals. We ate together as a team. You know, we did a lot of things as a team. So I've always, from the time I was at the Air Force Academy to when I was at Tennessee, I've always been surrounded by strong women. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm very lucky because I know not a lot of women get a chance to see women like that. Especially in, like, the military or in sports, you're usually, like, the only one in your, your whatever. And I've never really had to feel that way too many times as a woman, which I've been so thankful about. Yeah, who have been some of your biggest mentors for you? Um, I have, like, peer mentors. So, you know, I really rely on people who either have just experienced what I'm going to experience. So, you know, you got the chance to talk to Ebony. Like, she's someone that anytime, and she probably used me as an example. Like, I'm not one of those friends that's like, hey, I just want to run something by you. Um People like Will Baggett, he works at the college football playoffs, and he's been a part of the winning edge since day one. And he's somebody that I could call at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I have an idea, what do you think about this? And he could tell me that sucks, and I will say, <laughs> you are right. Um, and but, now do you really say you are right, or yes, are you defensive about your ideas? I have gotten better because now I, I'm consistent, you know, like... Early on, I was literally just throwing things at the wall and trying to figure out what sticks. Um, but now people know me when I come. I'm, it's very um, purpose-driven. It's usually in the same lane. So if someone says, Kareem, that's kind of getting outside your lane, I know that person knows what my lane is. So I was, you know what, you're right. I'm just I'm stretching or I'm reaching here. Um, so I feel comfortable with that. And it wasn't always like that. Like every idea I had, I was like, this is the best idea <laughs> that we've ever had. We're going to go with it. Yeah. And then over time, understanding like as an organization, our brand is important and what we do and what people see us as is important. And I wanted to always make sure that we weren't getting too um, far away from that messaging from our work because then it gets confusing and people don't want to support and then it becomes harder to do what we do. Yeah. Was college ever something that you were looking at instead of Air Force Academy when you were um, <laughs> graduating high school? Yeah, yeah. I, I graduated at 17, and I knew because my mom had sheltered me so much, I was going to get kicked out in the first semester. 
<laughs> wherever I was going to go. Now, why you say that? Why do you feel oh, that you would get I kicked out? I would have been buck wild. First <laughs> night, whatever trouble I could get into, I would find it. Like, whatever, if the, if the party title was trouble, I would have been the first you in You would have been there. Yes. With a capital T. Oh, yes. I was going to, I wanted to know what it was like. I wanted to know trouble. And granted, I wasn't an angel in high school. I, I was... I was like the student council president and like the person that threw the parties. I was, you know, so I was like the leader in the classroom, but like uh, that crazy person with with the with the teammates and stuff. But um, yeah, I knew first semester I was gonna not make it. Had you been in trouble growing up? Yeah, I mean, not like I mean, my, mischievous, mischievous. Because my mom always told me, "Don't mess up, because we'll get deported." Which I now know that that would never happen. <laughs> But that was definitely like something she tried to make me feel that would happen. So I always tried to. But again, I always like I would do crappy one semester and then the teacher would have a conversation with me and then I would have straight A's. It was just like, you know, being motivated to do things and and stuff. So I never I mean, I, I actually got kicked out of high school my senior year. And it didn't really shape me. It didn't really change my outlook on life. It was like a mistake that happened. I did. What did you do? I got drunk at school. <laughs> but I literally, <laughs> honest to God, I didn't know what I was drinking because I had never drank before. So I thought it was hot Sprite. It was straight gin. So I was at school, like, black out. The next day I wake up, I'm at home. The next day I wake up, it's another day. Then And then my mom is literally beating me up. So, But it, it wasn't one of those things where, like, from that day forward, I never did this whatever it just was like yeah you weren't on a straight and narrow no. path after that right <laughs> it was like i was on like the curved path that was like in the the yield lane getting on the emerging on the right track um but i mean it was it made me like i never really touched a drop of alcohol again until i was legal which i turned 18 i was in germany so i was no, legal you drink exactly <laughs> but even when i came back to the states i wasn't 21 yet and i didn't drink so it always kind of, um, but it wasn't like this huge, like life changing moment, but it's always something that like, when I see a kid that maybe people give up on when they're younger, like, oh, this kid is not going to make it, this kid is whatever. I'm just like, you don't know what, could, like anything could happen with the right motivation, with the right presence in their life or something like that. So, yeah. And there's also an aspect, I mean, sometimes life yeah. is just oh, unpredictable oh, and gosh. one you know, move can have a consequence, but that doesn't yes. mean it has to no. define right. the rest of your pathway, right? Yeah, I could have easily, I mean, my assistant principal was like, oh, you're not, you're going to be on the tr on the corner, you're going to do all these things. I remember, like, she literally brought my mom in and said, she's not, there's not going to be a whole lot of potential that comes out of this in her own way, you know? And um, that is something that shapes me. I was going to say, did that motivate you? Yeah, and it wasn't like, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to show you. It was just like, okay, we'll see. And then it's always just been something that I've kept in the back of my mind. You don't think it was a motivating thing to say, I'm going to prove you wrong? I don't really think about her that much. Like, every time I'm doing something well, I'm like, ha-ha, this is... But I think it was like... But just in terms of... Proving people wrong yeah. that you can do something. I like Does to that prove, motivates you? Yes, I love to prove people wrong. I've been playing golf since I was seven. 
And so when people see me, they don't expect that. And then like, yeah, you're not you're not the typical golfer. No. <laughs> and I'm like, my mom came to this country and her business deals were done on the golf course. So Tiger Woods was hot in Orlando. So she signed me up. There was no, I had no, if there was nothing, no fighting it, I was going to be playing golf. And I played golf since. I played on my high school team. When I went to tech school, I played golf at in Biloxi, Mississippi. When I was in Germany, I played golf in Ireland. I, I just used it as not just a recreational thing, but as literally as a networking and like being able to say, oh, you know, I played that course in South Carolina and somebody's like, what? And now I'm like, gotcha. Now we can have a conversation. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now everything's leveled out, yes, right? Yes, yes, And now they're interested. Now they want to know more. Like how your parents are Haitian and you play golf and you went to the Air Force Cat. Like all these things now, I'm getting, I'm drawing you in more and more to what I'm about and what I'm passionate about. And it's been working so far, knock on wood. How often yeah. do you get to play now? Not as much as I want I was about to say, to. we got to get out there and no, play. No, I know. And I was literally saying before this whole thing happened, like, when it gets warm, I got to do it because we added, we have golf lessons in our programming. We talk about it. And I just, I haven't had anybody to play with. And I just like to get drunk and get on the cart, you know? <laughs> so I have to find someone that has that balance of, like, having a good time, but not sh- shanking it every time <laughs> off the drive like that. Let's just have a good solid 18 holes and yes. like have a good time. So I got to find that those people to my circle. And you're not the first person like there's a couple like different golf um, organizations here in Atlanta um, that I just need to just do it. But I live so far from the city. Yeah. Yeah, but there's plenty of golf courses yeah. where you are. There are. I just need to find. I don't want to go by myself. I'm like that social. You need to, yeah. Yeah, I need, to, and I'm not, I don't have to be in a party necessarily, but I do, like, I don't like to work out by myself. I'd rather be on a co-ed rec team and use that as exercise kind of stuff. Like, I'm not going to be at the gym just in there by myself pumping iron, so. Well, no, it's unique then that you like being on a team, I perspective but golf yeah, is not a such t- an individual sport now there can be a team aspect of right, it right 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 you know like on your high school team but yeah at the end of the day i mean you have to it's all you it's all you yeah right and you have to focus and if you mess up you mess up that's like right. unless you're playing a scramble you know yes. where you're like oh best ball let's get that <laughs> <laughs> but, which i love yes, don't like, get me yeah, wrong yeah i got yeah. the short game on lock boo. Exactly. just get us to the green i got <laughs> the putts today <laughs> <laughs> but uh no it's been it, i think it helps me in like you know in golf it's not a you're not trying to hit the ball as hard as you can, right? It's about hitting the ball in the sweet spot and getting right. it. Um, and that's kind of how I approach life. It's not about how hard I can go, with whether it's at, when I was at ESPN or with the winning edge. It's about getting the sweet spot and finding the lane, getting in the fairway, staying in the fairway, and finishing the job, getting the hole, you know? Of course. What, what did you learn from your time at Tennessee under yeah. Pat Summit? I mean, she's... Right. Arguably the greatest coach in college basketball. Yes, yes. And still the winningest, I'm pretty sure. So I learned a lot. I mean, my first week I cried every day. And she wasn't even in the state of Tennessee at the time. So from... from, What do you mean you cried every day? Oh, she said the standard really high before the season. I mean, this is May. So the season... I just graduated from Bemidji State, just drove... 28 hours from Minnesota to yes. Knoxville. 
And again, there's a whole other culture <laughs> right, change right, right there. Right. So coming from Atlanta to Bemidji, back down to Knoxville, Tennessee, I've never, and I'm from the south of Atlanta. So to go to Knoxville, that's kind of, that was kind of like real shock for me. And she just set the standard from day one. And I just was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to live up to the standard. She wants me to help move in these top recruits. I don't know anything about them. I got to prepare for camp. I don't know anything about camp. You know, I'm responsible for these kids who have won championships. Now I've got to be the one to tell them, all right, time to do whatever. And I'm five, six and a quarter. And they're like <laughs> six, six, all these things. So I was like, I'm just never going. And at the time, actually, we were sharing an office with the men's team. So Bruce Pearl was there because uh, Thompson Bowen was under construction. So I'm like, Pat is yelling at me on the phone from Destin because she was on vacation. And then Bruce Pearl is over here just killing the game and recruiting and just having all these things. And here I am, the GA, just trying to figure it out. So it was tough. But I learned early on about excellence and as an organization, how you, no matter where people come from, when they come to this organization, they understand that there is a standard here that you will live up to. And if you don't, you will be left behind. Um, and I was totally okay with that because of everything that I was able to gain from the networks, the opportunities, the experiences, the players that I still like, they're grown now. They even have their own kids, but um, they're still my babies, you know? And um, the main thing I learned from Pat, she said, I used them for four years. I expect them to use me for the rest of my life. And that has been something that really kind of fueled the winning edge. Like, as student athletes, they come and recruit you. They sit in your home and tell mom and dad, like, hey, we're going to make this, we're going to make your daughter a whole woman. She's going to go out and become a professional beyond basketball. So Pat lived that every day. Like, she was the kind of coach, if you were coming to Knoxville and you didn't stay at her house, that was a problem. Like, you better not get a hotel room. You're not staying with somebody. You, all your kids, whoever you have with you, you're staying at Pat's house. She's making you dinner. She's making ice cream. And that's it. Like, you need a place to stay. You something's going on. You stay at the pool house. Like, she really. Um, I mean, it's family. It's and it's like It's not a game. It's not, not a game. It was never. Oh, it's family when the cameras are on. But then afterwards, you can't reach her. Or if you needed something, it's something different. It was always like from the her first team to the last team. Where there's a sisterhood. It's wow. truly a sisterhood. And I think that's the one thing that people miss out on, the great coaches like that, or great leaders like that, they don't focus on the W's. The W's are the byproduct. It's the foundation of that culture, that family. You build that. The rest is easy. The rest, yes. Yeah, and one story I was telling is like, if you, if, as a player, let's say you had a hard test coming up and you're like, coach, I got to study for this test. I know we're about to play Mississippi State, but I really need to study for this test. Guess where you were in Knoxville while the rest of the team was in Stark Vegas playing a game because the academics was always important to her. But then you come back and you have your best game because you know your coach made, a, made that sacrifice for you. So it always worked out. And it was like, it's like you're a magician. You just know these things, you know, like I know what I'm going to do, you know. So and it was just like any time. And and especially at the time we had a women's athletic department. 
where not too many athletic departments had that anymore. I think it was like Texas maybe still had a women's athletic department. So I was, again, able to see in my face every day strong women taking leadership roles within the athletic department, making decisions, and it was great. And it really just um, provided the best example of what we can do as women. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, it was modeled in front of you. Yes, right? yes. So and that's very important. Yeah. Was there an aspect that you wanted to be a coach? Oh yes, that's what if I'm gonna be the coach. I'm gonna go learn from the best, right? And then I was like, nope. What I won't do is lose my job because of what a 19 year old tweets at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, that's another thing. I'm so glad I grew up in an era where we didn't have social media, oh, we didn't have my cell phones, goodness. nothing could be you know put on out on the internet because yeah. I'd be embarrassed. Yeah, no, and I mean this was 2010, 2012, so social media wasn't like as like, yeah, but it was it was getting it there. was getting there, and so yeah. people still were still trying to like figure it out That's and right. see what's going on. So, and I was like, oh no! And then like the loyalty piece too. Like, I think if Coach K and Pat started coaching today, I don't know if they would still be at their respective schools. Yeah, they'd be fired, right? Gone, gone. So nobody gives anybody time anymore, right? And I just, I I'm not saying that I didn't think I would be a good coach. I just that's just a lot of pressure that I just never felt that I want. I, I never thought the game was that serious to me. Like, because I, I didn't grow up in sports. Like, my family, it, Thanksgiving, we didn't sit around the couch and watch some game or, like, no. So it wasn't like this is a make or break for me. My whole identity is wrapped around sports. It was more so, like, I like hanging out with young people. I like developing them. I like seeing them grow. And I was like, if I can find a way to do that, then I'll be good. It doesn't have to be in coaching. So why did you gravitate towards sports then if you didn't have that yeah. big background yeah, of I don't watching know. it and all of that? Yeah, I literally don't know. I think it just happened. Like, I think it was just something to do that was social, like going to watch practice or going, like I played basketball and ran track in Germany for our base team. And it was like, I just want to hang out with my friends. You know, I just wanted to, like, travel and do these things. And I was like, oh, I like events. Oh, okay, you can do events <laughs> and sports. Oh, okay, cool. Like, literally, it just kind of happened. Like, I did it when I got to ESPN. You know, people were like, oh, my gosh, I've always wanted to work for ESPN. It was like a dream job. I remember watching Sports Center every day, and I'm like, literally never <laughs> knew about this until, like, I think at the time, um, the Sandusky case was like Ooh. heavy so it was yeah. like on it was like cnn on espn and i was like that was like the first time that i really got like saturated with espn exposed to it but before then i really like i couldn't have told you who Stuart scott was probably until like later in life how was your time at espn then it was i learned a lot five years um in, in a millennial term now is like forever that's right? forever <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> which is terrible um but i learned so much more about the business of sports and like sitting in a room with athletic directors and and seeing the decisions that are made not just for the TV side, but from the operations side, from the team's contracts and everything that goes into a double header with Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, and Kentucky. Like, people just think, hey, we just call the coaches up and say, hey, you want to play in this basketball game? Nah, 
it's so much more that goes into it that you're like, I just wish we could just play the game already. <laughs> like, and I was def- I was there when they started planning for PK80. And it was like, I didn't think it was ever going to happen with everybody, like, people back in that. You know, especially, like, you have every top Nike school you could ever think of. You're putting them in a roof and you want them, like, everybody has their own concessions and you need to do this for this team. And this team can't be on the same st- uh, hotel as this team. And I'm like, we're never going to get it done. But people come to the table and whatever needs to be done, they're going to do it. I-, I look at your career yeah. and your path it's almost a little bit Forrest Gumpish, yeah. You know, in terms oh of just gosh. all of the things, yeah. the unique things that you have done. Yeah. How did all of those things prepare you to launch? Yeah. The, the yeah, I the think... Winning Edge Leadership Academy because I think what you're doing is very unique, and I yeah. But I also feel that I think it was at an appropriate time that you took the leap to right. do it because you brought all of these experiences yeah. together. I think it allowed me to um, be okay with failure. You know, like when we first started out, we didn't know what we were doing. So all those experiences, I had failed at some point early on. And I say failure, I, I received lessons. You know, they're not failures, they're lessons. Um, it allowed me to talk and pitch this idea to anybody, which a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're first starting out, they don't know how to get their idea across. They kind of know, like, I know this group of people and this is it. Whereas me, I could talk to the coaches I remember when I used to work AAU basketball tournaments here in Atlanta, to the conference commissioners that I was dealing with when I was at ESPN. So I was able to just kind of bring all of those things that I thought was crazy then um, into perspective now and leverage it, not just the relationships and the networking, but just like being able to drop that sometimes and let people know, again, goes back to like impressing people. Cause that's what it is sometimes, you know, in this world, it's about people, it's the Instagram life. Like how do you look good to other people? And it's one thing for me to say, you know, I learned a lot from my experiences, but it's another thing to say, I learned a lot from Pat Summit in my experiences so that carries weight yes and that's okay like you know i used to like look down upon that and not try to say too much about these things because it's like oh i'm a pretty modest person but especially in sports and entertainment when sometimes that's all that matters to some people is that name that extra clout piece um i'm okay because i did live through that like i did go through basic training i did like all these things that happened to me and i have to be okay with using that as part of my story yes it is it's a very yeah. unique story and but it's unique to you right you know from that perspective and it helped shape you and again be able to take that leap to start something like winning edge yes how difficult was that leap to Say, I'm yeah. going all in yeah, it to was, do this. It wasn't too difficult because Maria is like in my ear, like, do it. Just do it. Just do it. Like, you yeah, know, but did you feel the confidence to do it? Um, I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, was, but ready, but yes, um, taking action is... I don't think that was ever an issue. I was so passionate about it. I mean, it was keeping me up at night. It was waking me up in the morning. It was something I was thinking about Why all so the time. Why so passionate about it? Because I understood the difference the impact could make 
because I had been a benefactor of that kind of work and that kind of impact. And I knew that you didn't have to build a school in Africa. You didn't have to write a $2 million check to make a difference in somebody's life. Literally just the time and the intention and the being meaningful about whatever it is that you're doing um, could change the trajectory. Like, there's no way I'm at Tennessee if it wasn't for Tasha Butts, who's at Georgia Tech now, saying, I'm going to connect you with Dean Lockwood and Holly Warwick. You know, like, somebody has to take a chance on you or on yourself. You have to take a chance on yourself and take risks in order to, to make those things happen. Why the name Winning Edge? You know, I actually was thinking about that the other day because I'm like, were we just that smart and genius that we came up with something <laughs> that just translated so well into what we did? And I think it's like for a lot of our game changers, they're first generation college students. You know, they are not the typical decision maker and they don't look like the typical decision maker in sports entertainment. And we wanted to provide something. We wanted to clear obstacles. We wanted to make it just a little bit easier for them to enter into the industry. We wanted to provide that edge. Um, and it's like, why not? Winning edge. We, everybody likes to win. Nobody wants to not win. So we just, I think it just came, it was like an organic thing. I don't think we spent too much time. If there's yeah, anything. Did it, did it come? Yeah. I mean, just like both of you yeah. and Maria knew that all right, winning edge, that's, that's yeah. it. That's the name. I, like, mean, I, I, I yeah. mean, was it like one night, you guys? Yeah. Well, it was like, I had actually tried to launch the winning edge before I even met Maria. And, you know, I was trying to like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is how we're going to do it. I actually wanted to do, um, have you heard of Hoop Fest? Yes. So that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create an East Coast Hoop Fest that raised funds to provide professional development experiences for women and minorities. That was the goal. So the Hoop Fest was going to provide opportunities for women and minorities to work the tournament, gain experience, but also raise the money them to whether it was grad school or a conference like that's what it was gonna be because I'm a junkie I'm a basketball junkie and I went to Hoop Fest one time and the whole time on the flight back I'm writing these notes on how I can bring this to the East Coast I even went to the Charlotte Motor Speedway and drove around the parking lot to see if I could find enough level areas to have the to court. have all the courts like I was dead set this is what I was gonna do and I just didn't have everything in place that I needed to. I mean, no one, I mean, my dad and my grandmother had started businesses, but the nonprofit, no one I knew had done anything like that. Um, and yeah, one night I remember I was in Boca Raton getting ready for the first annual or the first Boca Raton Bowl. And Maria, I think, was in like Vegas or Texas doing a bowl game out there. And we were talking and she just, I was teaching at Johnson C. Smith at the time. And I was telling her, like, man, my kids, they're like juniors and seniors, and they're getting ready to graduate, and they're already four years behind those same students I've met at Tennessee who have been working at the department since they were freshmen. And so before they even have a chance, they're behind. And she was like, we got to do something. She was like, I'm going to teach. And I'm like, when? <laughs> when are you going to teach? Please find the time in your schedule where you're going to teach. So I told her, hey, you know, this thing I've tried to do before, I don't know if you're interested. She was like, let's do it. And she went and found a nonprofit for dummies book at Barnes and Noble. And we spent like three weeks straight, literally just like knocking out our 501c3, getting our articles of corporation, our bylaws. Like we just not like we did everything before we made a website, before we did anything, we made sure that 
we were legally bound to be. And you had that foundation, didn't you? Yes, and um, we just blew up from there. I think it's fascinating just to be able to build something like that. The other aspect, though, I I find interesting is that you put the word leadership in there as well. Why is that? And it's funny because now I try to run away from being put in a leadership box because especially on campus, we are not the rah-rah, go and be a great teammate conversation. We are, you need to be ready to have a job after this kind of conversation. But we felt that the leadership piece is you excel on the court or in the, in the field of play, take that same mentality and be a leader in your, in your industry, you know? be a leader, whether you're going to be the GA at Mississippi, like be the best GA you could be, you know? Um, And it just kind of, again, organically, like the words happen, the colors as a bulldog, and she's 6'2", I didn't really fight that too much. (laughs) I was like, sure, we can do red and black. Um, But literally, that was, you know, people spent so much time on like their name and their branding and like, and it just literally happened. And I think I'm so thankful for that because it really set the tone for how we operate now and how we're just like pretty chill. We like to pop up, do things of impact and and move it on. What have you learned about yourself through this whole process? (laughs) I learned that um, I could definitely be more patient and I have seen that happen a lot more. but I also know that I love to be challenged. I like people to say something to me that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And how do I be, how can I become better? How can, kind of going back to what you said about proving them wrong mm-hmm. or showing them that we can do this. Um, and I think like a lot of times when we step into a room, we impress people. You see two black women, like, what's going on? I am literally wear this kind of stuff all the time. Maria wears a dress and sneakers. Like, who the hell are these two <laughs> girls coming in here doing this? And then we blow people's minds away, like, because we're so impactful. We're so intentional. And I think it just, it had to be us. It had to be now. And it had to be this organization to do what we're doing right now. What's the future for Yeah, we're definitely, edge. yeah, we're like, creating a formula for success. We are not the end-all, be-all. Like, we don't want people to feel like, if you're not working with Winning Edge, you will not find success. No, we want people to understand, like, it doesn't take much. You, Anybody can do this. If you are the coordinator at your job, you can mentor somebody. If you are the CEO of your job, you can provide opportunities. Like, everybody can do what we're doing at any level. But the future for us is just more intentional programming we want to take our kids overseas you know a lot of our students have never left the country maybe they're even their own state before they went to college and we know sport is globalizing is that a word yes okay i'm saying it's a word all right well um the globalization of sport is something that um we want to expose our students to and which we're excited about. We really want to get into actually adding resume builders to our students because we can have conferences and webinars and go on campus and take cute pictures, but if we're not getting them the things, the experience that they need on their resume to be an asset to someone's team after they play, then we aren't doing our job. So excited about creating more opportunities for our corporate partners to engage our game changers and provide opportunities and for our game changers to understand like 
not everything you do has to be this huge commitment of internship for three months and if you can't do that you don't get it like no let's create opportunities that are manageable for you and get you the same result yeah and i think it's an interesting aspect when you say that just you know having these little accomplishments that you can put on your resume because 30 years ago it was that whole aspect yeah. of oh you had to be at a company you stayed with them for if you left, you were unloyal, yes. right? If you left the company. But now I, I think it's viewed upon, hey, go get all of these different experiences because right. what we're finding out is that you'll be more well-rounded right. when you do that. Yeah. And I think that's important to be able to offer those aspects yeah. you know, to these student athletes. I also think there's an aspect of this leader thing, yes. leadership, um, going back to it that there's a servant leadership oh yes <laughs> aspect to it yeah would you consider yourself a servant leader definitely i've thought about um putting on a shirt hashtag servant leader and selling it and raising money so don't steal it i won't <laughs> <laughs> um, but i'll help you sell it <laughs> yes but no definitely i think i have found more success in my career because i'm a servant leader and people know me as that and we kind of try to preach that in our programming like more good will come your way if you give of yourself. You know, when you're reaching out to someone, it's not about what they can do for you, but hey, how can I help you? Hey, I see you need a website. Can I update that for you? Or hey, I see your social media is not that great. Can I help you create content for that? People are going to welcome that a lot more than, hey, can I pick your brain and get something from you and get a job? That's right. You know, and so the servant leaders, I mean, Pat was one, you know, a lot of the people in my life that I've taken a lot from have been servant leaders. And I just don't think I ever had a chance to not be one. It was, that was the path that was, that was the path going. You, yeah. Yes, that was yeah. happening for you. Yeah. Words of wisdom. Yes. What's some life advice or even just mottos, phrases or quotes that yeah. That helped you become that servant leader, helped you, yeah, you know, yeah. be the person you are. Two of my favorite is closed mouths don't get fed. And it's something that I like we say all the time. If people don't know what you want, how can people help you? Like no one gets to where they want to be by themselves. And when in school, anyone who would listen, they knew if at the, whether it was at the time I wanted to be a coach or whatever I wanted to do at the time, people knew about it. And I found it so beneficial because six months later, I would just hear from somebody random like, hey, somebody was talking about this tournament. Would you want to come work? Yes, I will. <laughs> because they remembered I was talking about that. Um, and the other quote that I kind of, it's on my signature is, service to others is the rent that you pay for your time on earth. And that's Muhammad Ali. And it's something that um, I live by. I just, every day I, I wake up with the thought of, how can I help somebody else today? And it's not to make myself feel great or better, um, but it's like, if I don't, if I'm not helping somebody today, did I really accomplish or attack the day? Well, yeah. and there's that aspect of, what are the same rising tides lift yes. all boats, right? Yes. And so let's lift everybody, everybody up. Everybody can eat. You yes. know, it's not a pie. That's right. Uh, it's not exactly. <laughs> Everybody can eat. I always yes. tell people that. So. And the missing point in terms of networking is what you said. Is yeah. That you need to tell people what your goals are, what you want. Yeah, and to, be consistent. Be consistent, yes. And, and be persistent in yeah. all that. And 
you mentioned it earlier, be intentional. Yeah. You have, have to be intentional yeah. uh, from that aspect. Yes. So how are you taking care of yourself? Yeah. Because you work a lot. I do. How do you inter- re-energize yeah. yourself? Um, I don't have a choice. I have to take him on walks a lot. <laughs> he doesn't look like yeah, much. No, he doesn't look active right now. I can promise you that. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. No, he doesn't look very active right now, but we are pretty active. Um, every morning I start my day going to the lake and either I'm paddleboarding or I'm going on a couple mile hike. And that's before I answer any emails. That's before I do any calls. Most people know like, until about 9.30, even if you send her a message, she may be awake. She's not going to respond until after she goes to the lake. And that's something that... You're you know, setting the tone. Setting the tone for the day. Just like, I, I dream hard. And it takes a lot out of me. What and do you so mean you dream hard? I am literally, there's just never a moment in where I'm sleeping that I'm just... Relax on the beach with a mojito. <laughs> it's always like... Okay, how are we solving this problem? How am I helping? Like, literally, that's what I'm dreaming about. So, wake up sometimes, I'm like more tired. And then I just want to like empty my brain and hit reset, like for real, for real, by not thinking about anything. So, I don't even bring like, you know, people listen to podcasts. I don't even do that. Like, I'm literally just going to walk with no noise. And sometimes I get lost in the sauce and start thinking about things and I say, nope, no, 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 no. And I know it, it works because I have gotten lost on the hike that I've taken many times because I'm just like out of it. Just completely zoned out. And I mean like we're lost, lost. <laughs> like three hours Drake is like struggling <laughs> behind me trying to find water. So I know what I'm doing can really zone myself out. And I try to just I just try to be consistent with reaching out to people. It's something that I find a lot of joy out of. I love hearing updates and stuff and finding out how I can help someone because it fuels me and provides me with ammunition. Okay, how can I apply how this person used this for the next person or for our game changers? So I think it's been very humbling to start my day slow and to check in with people because um, no matter how crazy I get, no matter how busy I get, I always make time for those two things. Like I have people's birthdays in my calendar and I, if it's somebody's birthday, they're getting a call from me. It's not a text. It's not a Facebook message. It's a call. And it's usually a rap. I like to rap my birthday oh, messages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, do you have a unique rap each time or no, you just no, have your... No, it's okay. the same. It's the same. All right, well, we got to hear it. <laughs> well, actually, my friend just remixed it and added a real beat to it. <laughs> okay, <all right. laughs> but it's this happy birthday song Pat used to sing, which was just like, happy birthday, it's your birthday, happy birthday, birthday to you. And then being from Atlanta, I add like the trap to it in the end. So then it goes... <laughs> Now break it down now. It just, it turns into like a whole minute on your phone if you don't answer of me singing you, singing happy birthday or rapping happy birthday. I love that. Yeah. Well, that's your next career then, right? I know. If there's anything. this Forrest Gump type of pathway that you've had. I love it. Perfect. I love it. Kareem, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. And thank you for the platform for our, our committee members as well. I think what you're doing is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. 
Even though it might be common to mispronounce her name, as I embarrassingly did, but what's uncommon is Corrine's purpose-driven mindset to be a true servant leader by being focused on empowering and uplifting others and her passion to make a difference, not only by just her words, but by her actions, which makes it easy to see the rent that she's paying during her time here on Earth. Now that finishes episode 142, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening. 